It's a movement, but it's about people. Be the People is about we the people joining forces to reclaim and reshape the best of our nation's time-treasured traditions. Each week, we offer insightful interviews with movers and shakers from all different spheres of life. And now, please welcome Dr. Carol Swain. Hello, this is Carol Swain. I'd like to welcome you to another episode of Be the People. We're living in interesting times. There's a Nashville church that says the Bible isn't the word of God. In fact, the pastor is boldly proclaiming that his church practices, get ready for this, progressive Christianity. What is progressive Christianity and why should you care if you're a Christian? Progressive Christianity has become a threat, I believe, to all Christians because it has taken us further and further away from the life-given message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. My next guest is a woman who has been on quite a journey. My next guest is Elisa Childers. She's a former singer of a Christian band, Zoe Girl. She's a passionate Christian and speaker and an author. And her recent book is titled, Another Gospel. A lifelong Christian seeks truth in response to progressive Christianity. And her book is very timely because we talk about progressive Christianity. I don't think many people were prepared for a church in the middle of the Bible belt to come out and openly proclaim that they no longer believe the Bible. They are a progressive church and that they have a message uh, that the rest of us should be listening to. So let's see what Elisa has to say about progressive Christianity. Hi, Carol, good to be with you. Well, thank you so much uh, for what you do. And your book was a little bit ahead of its time, I think. Well, I, yes, I, I think yes and no. I think progressive Christianity has been growing within the evangelical church for a long time to the point where it had become kind of a big thing. And then by the time I wrote my book, um, I think that a lot of Christians were having red flags about it. They were hearing these ideas or maybe a book was recommended. They knew there was something kind of not right about it, but they didn't quite know what it was called or, or how to give language to the red flags they were experiencing. So um, I've had some emails from people saying, man, your book really gave me language for these red flags and gave me a biblical perspective on how to answer it and some apologetics and stuff. So I'm super grateful for that. But yeah, I think we, I think even since then, though, we have seen a lot more of this progressive Christianity come across our social media news feeds and, and things like that. So I'm thankful that uh, God in some way, in some small way, used me to be a resource for people to help think through some of those things. Well, I'm going to read a quote from Pastor Josh Scott of Grace Point Church in Nashville. And he says, the Bible isn't the word of God, except interpreting a science book, an answer slash rule book, inerrant, inerrant or infallible. It is a product of community, a library of text, multivocal, a human response to God, living and dynamic. What do you think of that? 
<laughs> so this was actually a, a meme that this church made, shared on social media. And as far as I can tell, it really went viral last week. So people were saying, you know, what what is this church in Nashville? What are what are they saying about the Bible? So in the meme, it had all of the, you know, the Bible isn't in one side and then the Bible is on the other. And so it's just the words that you just read were the words that were on the meme. And so just my general impressions when I saw this meme is that it actually sums up quite accurately what progressive Christians actually do believe about the Bible. And I think that's the thing that can be so shocking to Christians when they learn about this movement, because historically speaking, Christians, of course, we've already argued about uh, tons of different things throughout church history about biblical interpretations, but we've always agreed the Bible is the word of God, and we're going to settle our arguments based on what the Bible has to say. But in progressive Christianity, they don't view the Bible that way. In fact, I think the two sides of the meme that relate with each other the most is when progressive Christians would say the Bible is not the word of God. That is what they believe, although I would like to ask them, how do you know that? How do you know it's not the word of God? And then their view is that where he says it's a human response to God. So typically speaking in progressive Christian circles, they'll view the Bible as a profoundly human book. These are people who were not necessarily speaking for God, but they were just doing their best in the times and places they lived in to understand God. And that's what they wrote down. Well, the thing that confuses me is that if you reject the Bible and our understanding of God as Christians, why do you need a church? And why do you need a progressive church? Why would you call yourself a church? Because as you say in your book, it's a totally different gospel. Yes. Well, in my experience with progressive Christians, they really believe that that is the correct view of the Bible. So when when they hear people like you or me say, hey, the Bible is God's word. It's inspired by God. It's inerrant. It's, it's without error. It won't ever let you down. It's infallible. Uh, they think that's a very spiritually immature view to take. So this all is based on what they think even the nature of God is doing. They believe Christianity is progressing. So the earliest Christians represent Christianity in its infancy, but we've learned so much more now. So so they would view any view that says, oh, the Bible is the word of God, it's without error. That's just for people who haven't quite gotten to this place of enlightenment that the rest of us have yet. So they actually really think they're on the right side of this. Well, how would they differ, in your opinion, from atheists or your regular secular humanists? Yeah, and that's a great question. I've actually written articles about this, the the similarities between the claims that atheists make and the claims that progressive Christians make, because part of my story was that my faith was actually challenged in a progressive Christian church. Now, I didn't know it was a progressive church at the time, uh, but I looked for resources of how to answer some of these claims that were coming up within this church, actually, and it was the apologists who were answering atheists that were able to help answer my questions. And that's when I realized these are a lot of the same terms, except progressive Christians want to retain a belief in God. They want to retain the title Christian and, you know, whatever they mean by Jesus, they want to hold on to that as well. But uh, a lot of the beliefs are fundamentally the same. And could you share with their listeners a little bit about how you were raised? Yeah, well, I was raised in a Christian home, grew up in just kind of 
charismatic uh, evangelical church, had wonderful parents who really modeled the real gospel for me and never really went through doubt as a kid. I, I had a pretty good experience with Christianity. And I think that's maybe why I never doubted it because I loved Jesus with all my heart. I loved his word. It all made sense to me. I didn't have tension with things I read about. It just all made sense to me. So it really wasn't until I was an adult and was faced with some of these progressive skeptical claims that I went through a pretty, pretty serious, profound time of doubt after that. And that's when I went searching and found the apologists who were answering these questions. Um, but then the church that I was at went on to identify itself as progressive. And that's when I realized, oh, that's what that was. This is this is a movement. This is a an actual label, a thing that people are buying into that's kind of been present in the church for a while, I think. Now, was this a church in the Bible Belt or were you living in some other part of the country? This, this was this was in just the heart of Middle Tennessee. Yeah. Bible Belt. If, if Middle Tennessee is the Bible Belt. Yeah. And I'd like to read Galatians 1.8. And some people will be familiar with this scripture, uh, the NIV. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. And I think clearly from your book, you believe that they are teaching a totally different gospel. It's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes. And that's an important thing to understand because I think when Christians hear the phrase progressive Christianity, they think maybe it's political. They think maybe it's just a group of Christians who are, you know, disassociating from polit a certain political group, or maybe they're just changing their mind on some social issues or loosening up on some cultural issues. That is, they're doing all of those things. But what defines progressive Christianity is, I mean, as you can see from their view of the Bible, they're creating a completely different God. In fact, when God speaks in the Old Testament, revealing his nature and character, very often in progressive circles, they will say that wasn't God speaking. God would never do such a thing, or God doesn't work like that. He doesn't do those things. God isn't like that. And so that's why I, I, they deny major core tenets of the Christian faith. They deny the atonement. Uh, very often they deny the resurrection and the second coming of Jesus. They deny the existence of hell. And so there, there are key core doctrines that they're rejecting that really essentially turn this into a different religion. And I do believe it's a different religion. It's a different God. It's a different Jesus. And it's not a Jesus that can save you. And you've spoken uh, today about having a crisis of faith, even though you were raised in a strong Christian family, you had strong beliefs. I know in your book that you talk about how your pastor, you know, sort of he took a inner circle of people and you were part of this elite inner circle. <laughs> and there he exposed more and more uh, of what he believed. And so initially, I guess he was hired to be at the church. Uh, people thought he was a regular pastor, but he withheld the information that might have raised eyebrows. And he took an elite group that included you aside to teach, to enlighten you mm -hmm. about progressive Christianity. Is, is that how you would describe it? Yes, that is exactly what happened. So this was, you know, when I was already married with a baby. So I was, I was grown, grown up. This is the church in Nashville, uh, you know, where where this all happened, and that's exactly what he did. So on on he actually founded the church, but on Sundays, he was preaching these, as far as I could tell back then, these really 
Orthodox, historically Christian, very biblically based sermons. In fact, he used more scripture than almost any pastor that I that I knew of. And then in this smaller sort of, uh, like you say, elite, you know, we were definitely made to feel like you're the special group that thinks outside the box and we're going to just really wrestle through these things. And it was in that context that he actually told us he was an agnostic and he didn't necessarily believe all the things he was preaching on Sunday. And he would even say like, I don't know, should I should I reveal my true beliefs on Sunday? He was wrestling with that. And so it was well, like, Alisa, why did he pick you? Or was it God that chose you? Well, it was God <laughs> that chose me. I think what it was is that I, you know, I was vulnerable to the ideas of progressive Christianity. I had no idea they were going to throw out the gospel, but there were things I observed traveling around. You know, I was in the contemporary Christian music industry and I observed some things uh, in the evangelical church that I recognized needed to be uh, addressed and needed correction. Um, and so the progressives were seeing some of that same stuff. And so I think that's why it was in, enticing to people who had maybe seen some of that. But the problem, and I learned this very quickly, is that progressives weren't seeking to biblically correct maybe some of the errors of evangelicalism they were actually wanting to throw the whole gospel out with it and create this entirely new religion. So when that started to happen, I was just going, what is happening? But I think maybe the pastor, I had sang at the church and I had released a little solo album that I was wrestling through some of these ideas. And so I think that he thought that maybe I was on board with what he was going to say, but I, I found it really shocking, honestly. Now, what was your solo album? And then I, I, I will tell our listeners that the chapter where you talk about some of this, you know, crisis of faith, the rocks in my shoes. I love the way you write. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. So the album was, uh, I was in Zoe Girl. So some of your viewers may remember Zoe Girl back in the, in the early 2000s. And after Zoe Girl came to a close, I released this solo album that, that just kind of expressed my heart on some of these issues that, that I had been seeing where you people judging each other or things along those lines. Um, Hypocrites, maybe, right? <laughs> yeah, hypocrisy. And I mean, all kinds of stuff, moral failings and, and people who aren't living what they preach, uh, all kinds of different things. And, and so I, I wrote this album. I, I listen back to it now, Carol, and I'm, I'm just like, I cringe at some of the, you know, it was, it was a process. It was part of my journey. I wouldn't probably stand by all of the ideas that I wrote about in that album today, but it's where I was at. And I think that it shows, you know, what kind of thing makes us vulnerable to some of these ideas if we're not ready to encounter them. Well, we're going to take a break. And when we return, I'd like for you to talk more about uh, your experiences uh, and particularly how we can protect other people who may be searching and they run into wolves in sheep's clothing who would lead them astray. The Biden administration's executive order on immigration brings to the forefront one of the most volatile issues of our time. In this timely second edition of Debating Immigration, I join my voice to that of other experts to provide you with facts and information that will help you understand what is at stake for our nation. This edition offers 21 original essays that cover race, religion, economics, human smuggling, and civil rights. Purchase at bethepeoplenews.com front slash books or wherever books are sold. Be The People is sponsored by Cooper Steel, a family-owned business that provides the steel fabrications for buildings across the Southeast. Sixty years ago, Kenneth and Faye Cooper founded the company in Chevyville, Tennessee. What started as a vision is now a nationally recognized company 
that remains true to its founders Judeo-Christian values and principles. Cooper Steel is committed to excellence, responsibility, and community. Its motto is build strong, stand strong. It treats its employees and customers like family. Learn more at coopersteel.com. Spreading the out loud truth from sea to shining sea. AmericaOutloud.com is the voice of liberty and justice for all. This is not a fight of Republican versus Democrat. It's not a fight of rich versus poor, old versus young, man versus woman, gay versus straight. It's not a fight of black lives, blue lives, Hispanic lives, or white lives. This is a battle of good versus evil. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. We are the vision of the voices, America Out Loud Talk Radio. I'm back with my guest, Elisa Childress, and we are talking about progressive Christianity and her journey, a very special journey. She's written a memoir about it, and we're talking a little bit about ways that, um, how it happens, what it is, and ultimately, we'll talk about in this next segment how you can protect yourself. So, Alisa, just, you know, what would you tell people? We know that the pastor took a little elite group of people. You were in it. And I know from reading the book that you challenged him at certain points, but you felt ill-equipped. Mm. Yes, I, I had never studied the, the intellectual side of my faith. And, and I want to be clear, like sometimes people think that means you have a shallow faith or a blind faith. It wasn't. I didn't have a shallow faith or a blind faith. My faith was informed. It just wasn't informed intellectually, in a sense. So I knew the Bible. I loved reading the Bible. Uh, I watched my parents, you know, minister to homeless people and prostitutes and drug addicts my whole life, watched the gospel transform the lives of people. So I can't say that my faith was blind, but it was intellectually untested. So anytime, you know, we would do street ministry out on, I grew up in Los Angeles, so we would do street ministry on Hollywood Boulevard, and we'd go out on Halloween and, and hand out gospel tracts and evangelize <laughs> people. So, you know, when you're a kid doing that, you are going to meet atheists and agnostics and Satanists and Wiccans, and you're going to meet all kinds of different people. And nothing anyone ever said rattled my own faith because I just figured, well, they just, the Holy Spirit just hasn't gotten a hold of them, hasn't revealed this to them, and the Bible says this, and so I know they're wrong. And it never rattled my own faith. But I think what made me extra vulnerable to this sort of intellectual assault from this church is that, A, it was a pastor. I mean, he had spent eight months earning my trust and my respect. I really respected him as a Bible teacher. And uh, B, you know, I couldn't escape it. So I'm in this class and I can't just leave. You know, I can't just say, well, they don't get it and leave. So I, ha I was forced to sort of engage intellectually with uh, these ideas. And so I didn't even know that there were apologists or people out there that had heard some of these questions before and it could answer them. So it was it was a real eye-opening thing and a real joy really to discover just the rich intellectual history that we have in our in our Christian faith of spanning the last 2000 years. Well, this uh, pastor was he young and then now that you can uh, look back with distance, do you think that he was he obviously was not saved in the Christian sense? Was right. he wrestling with his own um um confusion or 
that's one thing I want to ask. Yeah. But the other thing is I have long believed that some people see becoming a pastor as a good gig mm. uh, and they um, go into it and you can be, you graduate at the top of your class and intellectually know everything to say and still not believe any of it. Mm-hmm. Yes. So regarding him in the class, I've, I've thought a lot about this. And sometimes I think that the class was actually his deconstruction, where he was going through this process of deconstruction. He wanted to find a small group of people to process things with. It's either that or he was already deconstructed and was just figuring out how long it would take to bring people along. You know, is he still in the ministry? I believe he is. Yes. That's scary. Yeah, it's it's yeah. The church um, that 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 happened at kind of they had a couple of splits and then uh, I'm not you know, it's it was a mess. A lot of people got really hurt from from stuff that happened at that church. It was really sad. But um, yeah, I believe, you know, I I I I have chosen not to name the church or the pastor because I don't want to give them my platform, but, but it is still going and he is still in tech, you know, it's like, I want to put ministry in quotes because it's not really a ministry in my view. It's, uh, but, but yes, he still calls himself pastor and, and does that sort of thing. And I'm assuming that it's not uh, Josh Scott of Grace. It is not. (laughs) It's not Josh Scott. Yeah, I just I I don't I just don't want to name them. Just I don't want you to. I don't want you to. Uh, But I do have another question. Uh, Is or was that pastor a young person? Because you're a relatively young woman. I don't know how long ago this happened. But uh, were you everyone in this class? Were you younger? Were there any Mm. older people in that class? There were. That's the that's interesting because you would think it's oh it's just going to be these kind of gullible young people, right? So the pastor was, um, I believe, a, a somewhere in my generation. So um, not real. I'm 45. So and this, but this was 10 years ago. So he may have been more like my the age I am now. So he, he was probably somewhere between 40 and 45 is my guess. And lots of people. There were a couple of young people in the class, but I would say generally speaking, it was. 40 and up in this class, which is, I've never really been asked that question before and I've never really thought about it. But I mean, there was probably a mix. I'm thinking back because some people came and went in the class, like they interchanged people a couple times, but there were definitely older people in there as well. And my memory of it was that this was really the first time most of us, I just want to be conservative and saying most, it may have been all of us had ever heard these ideas. And so this was all just like eye-opening Thing, stuff to everyone. Yeah, I want everyone to purchase a copy of your book, but I'm going to keep asking you more questions about some of the things I read. Uh, you talked about that most people didn't push back against the ideas. And I think you said one time there was a lady who was, you know, well qualified that spoke up and she got intimidated and she backed down. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> Yes. Yeah. So most of the people in the class were uh, not what you would call seasoned, mature Christians. There were some, there definitely were some, but there were some baby Christians in there, people who had just become Christians. But there was one class, and I do write about this in my book, where uh, we had a guest. She had come, um, she's, she was a well-known women's conference speaker, a friend of the pastors, and she had come to visit the class. And I remember noticing that she was 
from what I could detect, distressed by what he was saying. And she did try to kind of stand up for the truth of the Bible. And, um, but he was so good at just unraveling everything you say. And so she did, I, you know, he, he asked her if the Bible is the word of God and if it has final say. And I just remember she was so resolute, final say. And, and then he said, well, I have a Muslim friend who feels the same way about the Quran. And it was like, oh, what do we say now? And so it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was very difficult. It's very difficult, especially when you think, okay, this person's going to, they're going to, she's going to get them, right? She's going to be the one that's going to make sense of all this. And, and she was struck mute by him as well. And so it was, it was very hard. Okay. And Lisa, now that you know, you've done all this research, put yourself back into that class. And so you take the place of this lady. How would you have responded mm. if he had asked you the same question that he asked her? So if he would have asked me, how do you know the Bible is the word of God? What I wouldn't say was what I would have said back then. And what she said was that it's something I feel in my heart. It's palpable. It just makes sense to me. That would have been my answer back then. Today, my answer would be because I'm a follower of Jesus and what Jesus says goes. And Jesus' view is that the Bible is the inspired, authoritative, infallible word of God. And so my view is going to be what Jesus' view is, period. And, and that's where I would go with it, because that is why I can say now, I do believe the Bible is the word of God. This is something Jesus himself, he called, when Jesus would quote the Old Testament scriptures, you can tell as I get excited about this now, when Jesus quotes the Old Testament scriptures over and over and over again, he says, it is written, which in that culture, in that context is the equivalent of saying, God says, he literally said, God said to you, for God said, God said, God said over and over again as he quotes Old Testament prophets. So, you know, you can compare that to the progressive view we talked about at the beginning of the show where they're saying it's not the word of God. It's not inerrant. It's not infallible. It is just a human response to God. Well, that wasn't Jesus' view. And if you are going to call yourself a Jesus follower, if I'm going to call myself a Jesus follower, well, I think it's reasonable that my view should be Jesus' view. So that would be my my answer if I were asked that question today. But I've had a of time to think about it though too <laughs> no but i mean this will help other people and i can see that if i'm this pastor that's you know looking for prey and you respond that way i'm gonna move on to the next person because i can't argue with you you're certain and you've given your reasons and so i can see that he would move on <laughs> Yeah, maybe. I don't know, because nobody had any answers like that back then. That was the the difficult thing. And and the one thing people have to understand about the progressive mindset as well is they don't like certainty. They don't um, they don't view it as a virtue to land on a position and say, this is what I believe is true. In fact, there's even a book called The Sin of Certainty. So it's if you if you express agnosticism, if you express, I don't know, I'm not sure then you're viewed as more spiritually enlightened. Whereas right. if I were to come in with that answer, they'd be like, oh, well, she's just a fundy. Let's move on. You're right. <laughs> yeah. The other thing is that they are more accepting of where I used to be before I got saved. Uh, one God, many paths. Mm-hmm. And so they can kind of oh, deal yes. with that. Yes, very much. Yeah. It's very pluralistic. So they're, they're not going to tell Muslims or Hindus that they have the wrong view of God. They're not going to try to evangelize them or, or try to make them Christians. That would be viewed as being very judgmental and closed-minded. Uh, so, so largely speaking, progressivism is very universalistic and very pluralistic in that um, they, they, don't, they think it would be arrogant to say that we are the only correct way to God. Now, one thing I'd like for you to talk a little bit about is your chapter on cosmic child abuse. 
And before we uh, conclude this interview, just tell people um, a little bit about your recommendations for what they should do when they encounter progressive Christianity. Okay, do you want me to talk about cosmic child abuse first? Yes. So cosmic child abuse is a phrase that you will hear in in progressive circles in reference to the atonement of Jesus. And so remember I mentioned before, these aren't just people who are changing their mind on some social issues. These are core doctrinal issues. So they largely reject original sin. They reject the idea that humans have a sin nature that needs any kind of meaningful, like in a soteriological sense, salvation. And so they view the idea that God required the blood sacrifice of his only son as some kind of payment for sin or uh, to be a, a substitute in our place. They view that as cosmic child abuse. In their mind, that implicates the moral character of God and turns him into, you know, just some angry deity who needs child sacrifice or an abuser. So they reject the atonement of Jesus being a substitutionary atonement for our sins. In fact, uh, interestingly, at the church that I was at, I, I learned that uh, a Sunday school worker had made bookmarks on Easter for the kids that just said, Jesus died for my sins. And the children's pastor became enraged and threw them in the trash and said, we are not going to, this is abusive. We're not going to teach our kids this. So this is something that they they reject. They call it cosmic child abuse. Um, and now I'm trying to remember the second part of your question. Just uh, for one thing, I want to tell our listeners about your book. The title is Another Gospel, A Lifelong Christian Seeks Truth in response to progressive Christianity. Just briefly, I want people to purchase the book, you know, read it as part of a book club, but just briefly tell people what they can do when they encounter it, because we are in the heart, Nashville, of the Bible Belt, Mm -hmm. and we have progressive churches. Yes, that's right. Um, So this is what I always tell people, two things. Number one, try to understand why this is so attractive to people. And there are lots of reasons. There are people who have encountered legitimate spiritual abuse in their evangelical church they grew up with. They have a very hard time parsing the difference between the abuse and the gospel. It kind of gets all tied up together. So if they can just push the whole thing out of the way and have this group of people that says, hey, we accept you, we love you, you don't have to do anything, you don't have to believe anything, you know, I can see why that would be very attractive to someone who especially has been through abuse or if they've witnessed hypocrisy or moral failings or maybe they grew up in a very hyper-legalistic environment. Largely speaking, progressive Christians are deconverted evangelicals. These aren't people that are converting from Islam or from atheism to progressive Christianity. This is a group of people who are reacting more against something than they are going towards something. So that's very important to remember. Um, so maybe try to figure out why this person is so attracted to it and then ask a lot of questions rather than make dogmatic statements. So you can have, yeah, you can have a conversation about like cosmic child abuse. Instead of saying, well, you're wrong about that. You can say, well, why do you think it's, it's why, why cosmic child abuse? Why do you have that phrase? And you can ask questions to bring them around, uh, but to keep the conversation from getting shut down, I think. And Alisa, could you tell people very quickly where they can find your book or if they want to book you as a speaker, what they should do? Yeah, just go to alisachilders.com for all of that. You can There's a tab to, to buy the book. There's a tab to uh, request speaking engagements and all that kind of stuff. I have a YouTube channel. It's just Alisa Childers. And uh, you can find all that information there. But the book's on Amazon and all the, all the regular places as well. Well, Lisa, I wish you much uh, success with your mission. And God has certainly called you to do something special for our times. 
And I like the fact that you're young, you've helped expose this, it's everywhere. So you're clearly doing what I encourage my listeners and followers to do, and that is stand up and be the people in the sense of the constitution, the we the people, it's important for us to be the people who take back our nation, our world, and our churches. 